Hello there. Welcome to Grimdark Bastard, singular today, uh, a Warhammer podcast. Um, normally I am obviously joined by my wonderful partner, Mel, but unfortunately she's been infected by Nurgle's Plague. Um, and although you scrutty Death Guard fans would love that, <laughs> um, I'm afraid I'm not going to make a uh, talk on on pod today so um so that you guys have something to listen to i thought i would do just some law just a law video today and i might drop these every now and again if you enjoy them um but essentially i think this allows me to get one of my favorite subjects off my chest so i don't keep bringing them up um <laughs> in that general podcast chat although that still might potentially happen um so of course today we're going to be discussing the dark angels so, yeah. But before I do that, uh, I think Mel has something to say very quickly. Hi, everyone. Nurgle has got me again, that evil, evil, smelly man. <laughs> Bless her. And, yeah, essentially, yeah, we're going to talk about some Dark Angels lore today. Funnily enough, the, the actual channel, Grim Dark Bastards, is, is Mel's nickname for my Dark Angels. Um, because when I came back into the hobby... I knew for an absolute fact that I wanted to do Dark Angels. She always made like a quip about the fact that they're sort of more emo and brooding than even my my soul blight grave lords, and they're dead from Warhammer Age of Sigma. And it's completely true. Like like the the first Legion do have uh, a bit of a reputation for being quite morose and moody. Um, the reason why we'll go into in a second. But yeah, I, I have a big sort of emotional connection to the Dark Angels, as they are literally my favourite army from 40k. Yeah, I, I've got too many Dark Angels, some would say. Well, not enough, depending on your point of view, I guess. But I suppose we're going to have to start somewhere, right? And and it makes sense that we start with the concept of the fact that they are the first Legion. Which, um, I don't know if, if how up-to-date people are with law or, or whether you're completely new to law or whatever, but essentially, the Space Marine Legions, when the Emperor originally designed them, were 20 strong. Um, two of which we obviously don't know anything about because they were essentially eradicated from Imperial history. But the Dark Angels were actually the first Legion. So the first Legion that the Emperor ever designed... And possibly the first legion ever put into actual military service on behalf of the emperor as well, which is really significant um, from the point of view of the Dark Angels because they were involved with conflicts long before some of the others were even brought into being. Uh, and they were called upon to do some of the most incredibly crazy stuff on behalf of the Imperium. And yeah, and it's huge. And like, you know, this means that the Dark Angels has have had consistently throughout their like lifespan like access to some of the most gnarliest and craziest of weapons um that the rest of the space marine legions just would never have access to you know we're talking some dark age of technology guns like for example even in the modern day like the dark talon which is the signature flyer of 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 the raven wing which are a part of the dark angels has what's called a rift cannon and none of that technology is available to any of the other Space Marine Legions. And essentially, there's just loads of super weapons like hidden in the Dark Angels' vaults, things that can eradicate planets or, or destroy practically anything. Um, and the Dark Angels have been entrusted with these relics of humanity's past for quite some time. And yeah, and have gathered all of that experience. And 
of course, we can't really talk about the Dark Angels really and getting into the nitty gritty of their history or anything without actually having a chat about their Primarch. So obviously all 20 Space Marine, initial Space Marine Legions have their own Primarch that kind of is a personification of what that Legion means and the ideologies of that Legion are reflected in the Primarch and vice versa. And yeah, and the Dark Angels are no different. And my favourite character in the whole of Warhammer sort of lore is is Lionel Johnson, who is the Primarch of the Dark Angels. And essentially, uh, Lionel Johnson was, of course, like all the Primarchs, like split from the Emperor at the beginning of of the whole Space Marine project and hurled into the, into the universe by uh, unknown forces and scattered to the winds uh, in an attempt to stop the Emperor from basically gaining control of the universe, I suppose. And one of these, of course, was the Primarch of the First Legion, the Dark Angels, Lionel Johnson. He was he landed on this cool planet called Caliban, and it's impossible to really talk about the Dark Angels re- without referring to Caliban quite a lot, because karmically they're intrinsically incredibly linked. And yeah, and, and his pod landed on Caliban, and uh, Caliban is a death world. So there's several what we call death worlds in, in Warhammer lore, which are basically inhospitable worlds where the world itself will essentially try and flick you off it like fleas on a dog um, and be really quite scary. And some, some reasons why death worlds are uninhabitable are due to environmental reasons. Fenris, where the space wolves come from, it is ridiculously cold. Obviously, it's called Femris for a reason. And also, it has crazy krakens and, and wolves and shit on it. Um, Katachan is another death world, which is where the very famous Imperial Regiment get, get their name from. And that's like a jungly death world. But Caliban uh, was slash is, I suppose, like remnants of. Uh, we'll discuss that later. Um, was like a sort of foresty, uh, neon 90 death world which already makes me very happy because the idea of like sort of cyberpunky knights going around in like a sort of inhospitable forest with gnarly, gnarly chaos infused creatures on it. It just makes me happy. And yeah, essentially Caliban was plagued by these massive creatures and beasts that haunted its inhabitants and hunted them. And it was up to the Order, which was a, um, a really unoriginally named um, grouping of uh, Calibanite knights to protect the people of Caliban from the most gnarly beasts of ancient mythology that you had ever known. One of which being the Cabalanite Ka- uh, lion. And there was this creature called the Horn of Ruin and stuff like that. And yeah, and, and basically life in Caliban sucked. Like, even if you were like an uber uh, sort of steampunky knight that was, you know, protecting people with Caliban, like life was not easy, man. Like your life expectancy was not good. And essentially humans were kind of losing this battle against these gnarly chaos-infused beasties on Caliban for centuries. Um, for as long as Caliban has ever existed, so hath the evil dwell within it also. And essentially, yeah, Lionel Johnson's pod landed on Caliban, which is not ideal. Like, that's, that's not a very ideal start in life for anybody, really, even a Primarch. But hey, it's the way the cookie crumbles, I suppose. You know, like, 
Mortarian and Lehman Russ would have also been had hard times. So there you go. Uh, but what was even more gnarly was that uh, Lionel Johnson's pod landed uh, on Caliban and he was still a baby, basically, and he landed in the forest of Caliban and no one knew he was even there. He was only discovered by a group of knights led by a legendary knight by the name of Luther, who found essentially Mowgli boy Lionel Johnson living like in, in, in the forests of Caliban, um, like a wild child, basically. How he survived, no one knows. Like, you know, even a primarch statistically living in those environments is, is kind of mad. So, you know, it's implied that he lived off, you know, like his instinctual survival behavior. And it would later explain some character traits of the lion that were potentially his downfall in many ways. Yeah, essentially Luther found, found Mowgli, Mowgli Lion and sort of inspired by Lionel Johnson decided to, in his tenacity, decided to basically take him under his wing and adopt the boy like as his own sort of squire and take him, take him back to the order and try and figure out who the fuck this, this boy is. It was quickly understood, however, that Lionel Johnson was growing a lot faster than your average human and uh, with much more potential of any knight in the history of the Order and quickly not only became a knight of Caliban, but the knight of Caliban. Originally, obviously, Luther was incredibly proud of, of said Mowgli line, but I think the problem, the initial like issue here with Luther was that you know, he was the seed of jealousy has kind of already been planted here where this this Mowgli boy is is kind of becoming, you know, one of the most impressive knights in the history of, of Caliban. But yet Luther's deeds are amazing. Like L- L- Luther beforehand, his whole concept was to try and unite the people of Caliban to essentially eradicate the beasts and, yeah, basically bring power to the people. And uh, the lion was doing it way easier than than Luther at the ever thought possible. But hey, man, if it gets peace, then then go for it, right? But inevitably, what happened was uh, the Lionel Johnson became the de facto leader of Caliban, eradicated for the most part the creatures of Caliban. And, yeah, united everyone behind one banner. And there's some awesome moments in various Horus Heresy books. I think Descent of Angels is the first one, which is number six or seven of the Horus Heresy book. Where, yeah, where you kind of get an insight into the order, the secretive nature of it. And, yeah, just just how capable and awesome the line is. Eventually, obviously. Like what happens with every Primarch story, the uh, Emperor appears. And, basically, Lionel Johnson, like instantly falls to his knees proclaims loyalty to the emperor and and says yeah no i'll help you on the great crusade that's awesome some of the uh knights errant and squires there we go luther and co were elevated to dark angels um and this is again where another seed of jealousy is planted within luther already a little bit of foreshadowing for what's potentially around the corner um that luther was too old to undergo transformation into a full-on space marine he was given like some incredible um adaptations by the by uh lionel johnson personally um including having his lifespan extended way way longer than your average human still getting power armor and still getting some badass equipment and cybernetic like enhancements and all kinds of stuff but he would never be infused with the gene seed of lionel johnson which sounds a bit crazy when i said it out loud but as in like he could never 
be a full-on space marine and as such he was considerably shorter than most of the legionnaires of the of the first and some of his squires would be bigger and stronger than him in ways that he could never be but he was still given like first captain and like second in command of the of the dark angels um and the ultimate authority when um, Lionel Johnson wasn't around. So in all fairness, the Lions still revered Luther greatly. And, uh, and I kind of had a father figure thing with him as well. But because of his time spent as a boy in the depths of Caliban, like his people skills was not the, not the greatest. And he was never very good at articulating or inspiring those around him. Very cold, very calculating, incredibly tactical, and arguably one of the greatest duelists in the entirety of Warhammer canon. But not a traditionally inspiring commander, so to speak. And as a result, I don't think Luther was ever given that sort of, I suppose, praise that he was desperately searching for. And also, yeah, resentment had already started to settle in his heart, so to speak. So unfortunately, the Dark Angels take a little bit of a hit now in terms of their historical relevance. So being the first Legion up until this point obviously gave them access to so many awesome weapons and they actually had bigger numbers than any of the other Space Marine Legions in the history of the Imperium up to this point. But then something very mysterious happened that we don't have any real like, solid information on called the Rangdang Genocide. Dun, dun, dun. Russ got a name wrong. So listening back to this editing, I just wanted to stipulate that the Rangdang genocides were an actual fact called the Rangdang Xenocides. I do apologise, any crazy hardcore law people out there. Um, my thousand apologies, I will flog myself now <laughs> and get the details correct in future. Sorry! Rangdang, who... We, we don't know much about them, but we're an incredibly high threat level to the Imperium. And the Emperor asked Lionel Johnson and the, and the First Legion to basically eradicate them. Nobody knows what happened. Um, I would love a book. Like, that's what I'm desperately searching for, is, is, is like, I'm waiting for, is for GW to do a book on the Rangdan genocide. Um, because it's only briefly mentioned... But essentially the consequences of the Rangdan genocide is, is really bad because it just wrecks the numbers of Dark Angels that are kicking around. So we're talking like Great Crusade sort of formation sort of stuff. And yeah, and, and savagely, the, the Dark Angels are wrecked. Like their number is nowhere near as great as it used to be. And as a result of this, um, the sort of big sort of legion that appears as a result of the void of the Dark Angels of the Ultramarines and the Dark Angels never really recovered from that in terms of like their numbers and stuff like that. Although they would kind of get their own back on Gilliman later for not adhering to the Codex Extarses that we'll discuss during the first and second company part of this, this podcast. But essentially, yes, um, there was some really interesting stuff going on where um, the numbers of Dark Angels were, were hit really bad and the Emperor was really thankful for the Dark Angels for the sacrifice, but... Uh, it was kind of an uphill struggle to replenish their numbers for, for, for you know, decades or centuries after that point. So there you go. So already taking a hit going into what would eventually, of course, be the Horus Heresy. So ju- during the early parts of the Horus Heresy, before like Horus had properly kind of lost his mind and, and fallen to chaos in every respect... The uh, lion was basically leading the Dark Angels to, you know, bring in more systems to the Imperial cause. 
uh, and to assist with with that appropriation. And something really fucked up happened where they basically turned up to this planet and it seemed like the planet were very happy to be, and almost submissive to be part of the Imperium. Their leader kind of came aboard the um, Invincible Reason, which is the flagship of, of the Dark Angels. And unfortunately, tried to assassinate Lionel Johnson um, by basically planting a bomb with another one of their vessels, like on on the sh- flagship. Luther uh, saw this happen and go down because he wasn't part of like the main uh, greeting party, and had a moment of hesitation where he nearly didn't throw the bomb back into space. Um, and him and his sort of dark angel uh, entourage. Uh, saved the day and and threw the bomb back into space. The lion subsequently mopped up the forces on the vengeful spirit. Vengeful spirit? Oh my god, invisible reason. <laughs> Got my flagship missed up then in a really bad way. Dun dun dun. Other chaos? No is the answer. And yeah, and kind of read Luther. Um, because even though Luther was really bad at like articulating his thoughts and emotions, he had this kind of sixth sense... Um, which would later prove him very handy when he fought his brother, Comrade Kurz, who could see into the future. Where, yeah, he had this almost like animalistic sense of being able to tell the intentions or the next move of like a human on a sort of primal animalistic sort of level. And kind of read Luther for what happened. And with his complex emotions that, you know, he didn't understand and also still loving his kind of adopted father, so to speak, decided to send Luther back to Caliban um, in order to train up new recruits. And unbeknownst to Luther, also keep an eye on the chaotic energies that were at the core of Caliban. But he didn't explain to Luther why. Um, so Luther sort of played with guilt and all this sort of deep sort of emotions concerning the lion was sent back to Caliban and was left to stew basically and and train up the new recruits of of Caliban um, whilst the lion was earning victory after victory in the great crusade and was potentially going to be named war master we'll come back to that later because that will unfortunately bite Lionel Johnson in the tail um, and be one of the sort of darker moments of, of Dark Angel's history, really. But that leads us full on into Horus Heresy, the Crusade, and the naming of Warmaster. So the Dark Angels, even despite what happened with the Rangdang genocide, had been doing incredibly well at bringing worlds into the Imperium, second only to like the Ultramarines and the Lunar Wolves at this point, or the Sons of Horus, as they would later be known, obviously. And when the Emperor came to naming a Warmaster, it seemed like a pretty even split between, you know, some of, some of the top-tier Primarchs. Um, and Lionel Johnson was very, very close, like, incredibly close to, like, winning. And I think Lion desperately wanted to be Warmaster and to lead the, you know, the Emperor's glory in, into, into battle. And the fact that he was the first Legion, it just made complete sense, right? Like, he was very authoritative, very dominant, naturally. So he seemed like the perfect choice. But obviously, the Emperor did have a favourite in the form of Horus. And I think the Lion was not happy about the fact that he, was, he wasn't named um, Warmaster. Although, I think the secondary prize, the fact that Gulliman wasn't also named Warmaster, was... You know, just just as good for the lion because the lion and Gilliman would not have the greatest of relationship. And one of the reasons why I think I secretly hate Gilliman, but there we go. And I do, kind of. Yeah, I don't like him. 
Um, don't tell Ultramarines people. I'm sorry. He's just the most boring and and milk toasty Primark ever. And the Ultramarines are a bit lame. But there you go. Oh, shots fired. But yeah, so he brought loads of worlds into compliance, is what they called it. And um, he wasn't named Warmaster. But I think the desire to be Warmaster was always there with the lion. And it was a sore point for many, many a year to come. And of course, we all know what happened with the Horus Heresy. Horus betrayed the Imperium, swaved half of the Imperial Legions to his side. And yeah, and one thing that I find really interesting about like Dark Angel's law, and it's one thing that really annoys me, and it'll come later to, to what happened with the fall of Caliban later, what we'll talk about, is the Dark Angel's loyalty. Which is always really ironic to me and infuriating to me that the loyalty of the Dark Angels is ever kind of questioned. Especially during the Horus Heresy. Because um, Malkador, like the Emperor's right-hand man and little psychic old guy, um, the most, one of the most powerful psychics in the world, and the Emperor would often have conversations concerning the legions and stuff. And uh, when the Horus Heresy erupted, Malkador asked the Emperor uh, about the lion. And, com- and basically what happened is the lion didn't realise that Gilliman was on in the Imperial side and basically was potentially going to send ships to eradicate Ultramar and, and um, McCrag and stuff and, and try and kill Gilliman. And uh, Malkador questioned this and was like, don't you question the li- loyalty of the lion to potentially attack, you know, his brother? And the, the Emperor was essentially like, no, not at all. Like, he, he's my, one of my most loyal sons and I don't question the lion's for a, incentives for a moment. If anything, he questioned Gilliman's. So as far as I'm concerned, the lion, sorry, the, the Emperor never had any doubt as to the lion's loyalty. Um, and there was a moment during the Horus Heresy where the lion was faced down by a Zinch uh, Lord of Change, which is the greater demon of Zinch. And um, it's basically trying to, uh, he was basically trying to sway the lion to like his side and to come to chaos. Um, and then in his great wisdom, the Lord of Change realized that there was nothing that he could say or do to convert the the lion and he's like trying to offer him like power and riches and weapons and stuff and the lion just turns around and says loyalty is its own reward um and chopped the fucking great demon in half i can't remember what happened but essentially that happened um so yeah the you know the lion was always savage and 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 never really in in opposed to you know the enemies of the imperium and and you know would fight his brothers about loyalty and stuff constantly and and very famously outshone Neiman Russ in an invasion and the Space Wolves in an invasion of a planet where he killed the leader of the enemy before Neiman Russ had a chance to and they had like a fist fight about it and stuff but um but yeah the capabilities of the Dark Angels were considerable and during the Horus Heresy Horus knew this and needed to distract the Dark Angels um, because I think he realised that if the Dark Angels had got involved too deeply, that would be it. So basically, he he asked his brother, Comrade Kurz, who is a traitor as well, to occupy the Dark Angels and tie up the Dark Angels for the vast majority of the Horus Heresy. And if anyone doesn't know who Comrade Kurz is within the context of, of the law, he's basically the Space Marine equivalent of the Joker. Like, maniacal, crazy... Um, has a weird sense of justice though as well which is kind of strange but just a murdering psychopath that uses fear to control his people 
And yeah, he's just a fucking cheering psychopath. He could see into the future like Sanguinius. He was kind of like an evil foil of Sanguinius in a way. Um, his favourite weapons were two crazy lightning claws that he used to tear his enemies to shred with. Yeah, he was not a nice guy. He, he, was, he was a maniacal, evil dude. And, and in a way, the Dark Angels and the Night Lords have been kind of rivals since because of this. But essentially, um, he was just pulling the tail of the lion just to get his attention. And his only mission was to tie the lion up. And he did so very, very well. Um, and in the process, um, the lion and Comrade had a few barnies. There was one moment where, where the lion had captured Comrade and Comrade had escaped into the bowels of the, of the Invincible Reason and uh, was killing and knocking off like Dark Angels like in darkness and you couldn't catch him and stuff. But it all culminated into a classic duel where the lion fought Comrade. And despite Comrade being able to see into the future and could see every move that the lion could make before he did it, the lion had an almost Jedi-like instinct as to what Comrade was kind of doing when and where. And so kind of fought without any degree of style or, or anything. And even on a pure instinctual, gnarly, Super Saiyan level, was able to defeat Conraz and, and, yeah, just like bane him on his knee and, and, and kind of take him out of action and uh, defeat him and I don't think Comrade ever kind of got over that and uh, would later lead to some of his sort of more crazy stuff that happened later but showed the awesomeness that was the lion in full um, duelist mode and yeah he, he is not a, not a, not a Primarch to be trifled with one of the best warriors arguably out of all of the Primarchs but there you go. But essentially, as a result of being tied up and distracted by the Night Lords for so long, it meant that the Dark Angels themselves couldn't participate in the defense of Terra and the Emperor. And when the Emperor was defeated, well, not defeated, but died, um, killed Horus and was put on the Golden Throne, the Lion was unfortunately not there and appeared late to Terra. So obviously racked the Lion with a serious amount of guilt. And uh, yeah... And I think he felt great shame for that. Yeah, essentially then the lion was part of what was known as the scouring or the scouring. Scouring. Yeah, essentially the lion was part of the scouring to try and push back all of uh, the Chaos Legions back into the warp. And in doing so, thought he'd get some reinforcements and stuff from Caliban, returned to Caliban, showed up in real space outside of Caliban, only to have and to find that Caliban was turned all of its planetary defences on the Invincible Reason and the Lion's ship and tried to shoot them out of space. Um, completely confused and overwhelmed with emotion at this point from obviously fighting you know, chaos and also finding out that his dad had fallen and stuff. Decided that the best course of action, although harsh, was to just planetary bombard Caliban. Yeah, and, and figure out what happens afterwards. But yeah, essentially, planetarily bombards Caliban and then zaps onto Caliban's surface in person to figure out what the fuck is going on and to find Luther. Um, he finds Luther and finds out that Luther has uh, basically sold his soul to chaos um, in order to be stronger than the lion and, and control the First Legion and potentially be part of Horus' heresy as well. Obviously, at this point, Summer Space haven't figured out what's happened yet, and that Horus is non, non-existent, and the Chaos Gods haven't just lost a champion, see a new potential champion in Luther, and, and elevate him with uber chaosy powers. 
And this is one part of the law that some people don't get right, which is that basically Luther and the lion have a duel and and the Luther really, really fucks up the lion here and fights him. And a lot of people are like, wow, this doesn't make sense because how could Luther even being like, you know, boosted by chaos even have the power to, you know, kill a Primarch or whatever. And it's not just that. Like, of course, like, having chaos behind him is, is really powerful. But I think people are really missing out on here is, is the lion's own personality. Where fighting Luther, you know, already having the psychological damage of lo- losing one of his fathers, fighting Luther, like, who, who was like a, like a father figure to him when he was Mowgli um, lion, um, had a real hard time fighting Luther. Feigned his blows didn't go for the kill and tried to like disarm him and stuff but obviously Luther is powered by warp spaghetti and was firing lightning out of his hands and all kinds of crazy stuff and basically like the lion and his inability to kind of kill Luther was critically wounded and Luther having realized the extent of his fall basically went mad and decried chaos as being like monsters and he doesn't want to represent them anymore and in the frustration of of chaos having lost their, another champion um this time to hit luther coming to terms with the fact that you know he, he did something really evil basically scattered and and pushed the the evil dark angels the fallen what we call the fallen dark angels into the warp and scattered them across the universe and left luther on the planet we, at that point in time, the Dark Angels have no idea what happened to Lionel Johnson, but he also was not there. All that was there on the husk of an asteroid, which was now Caliban, was Luther, some rem- remnant sort of buildings and tech and stuff. No fallen, <laughs> like literally, like Caliban's now an asteroidy chunk of chunk of a rock now. And yeah, and the Dark Angels then have to pick up the pieces without their Primarch. So as a result of finding out that half of their legion then went to chaos, the other half decide that it will be their life's duty and legion's duty to find the fallen and bring them to justice, make them repent for their sins and execute them, basically. Little do they know, however, that Lionel Johnson is being looked after by a group of creatures called the Watchers in the Dark, who, I think, are responsible for keeping Lionel Johnson alive when he was Mowgli Lion in the woods of Caliban. And essentially what they are is they're like anti-chaos beings that chaos are generally petrified of. And they're just these little Jawa guys. They, they don't say anything. They're just completely hooded, and you can't even see what their features look like. But they're just these little Jawa guys that um, occasionally have helped out, like, the Knights of Caliban, um, and and they're just freaky to look at. They, like, send you, like, crazy to even look upon them. And the, I think that they were looking after the lion in the centre of the rock and helping him recover from his grievous inju- injuries inflicted by Luther. And they would still hang around, like, like Dark Angels see them and stuff like that hanging around. Um, and essentially, Dark Angels build a new fortress monastery built on the grounds of destroyed Caliban, um, which they called The Rock, which is kind of a badass name and a very simple name to describe it, like The Order or whatever for descriptions. But I love The Rock. I think The Rock's cool. It's basically like a fucking spaceship, asteroid, gnarly thing. It can move. It doesn't stay in the same place. And that's their base of operations. 
And, uh, yeah, the Watchers in the Dark kind of just wander around the rock. And it's said that, like, basically any new Dark Angels that kind of are brought into the Dark Angels in the Order in the Inner Circle or whatever uh, are told just leave them alone. Um, and they'll just wander through the rock, just aimlessly wandering, like sacred beings to the Dark Angels. And and some early recruits have tried to, like, fuck with them. Like, you know, try to touch them or talk to them or, like, disrupt their course. Just disappear. <laughs> just, like, randomly disappear the next day. So, yeah. So, that's kind of mad, really. But there you go. And essentially, that kind of brings the Dark Angels into the modern setting. So, for the 10,000 years in between 30k and 40k, the Dark Angels just basically try and expunge the fallen from the records of imperial history and eradicate them, capture them, make them repent. And, and the rest of the Imperium have no idea that this happened. So they're yeah, keeping this deep, dark secret away from the rest of the Imperium in case the Inquisitors get a little bit trigger-happy and decide to eradicate the entire Legion. Which, though it's a little bit of a stretch, you can understand in this setting why they would do that. And, of course, the honour thing, which has led the Dark Angels into some... <laughs> questionable situations where some other imperial allies of theirs have commented on their unreliability in certain conflicts for example it's not uncommon if dark angels get wind of a fallen anywhere in their investigations to literally stop anything they're doing the whole legion goes yep we're going to capture this fallen kind of come back to real space again which leads them into conflict with other chapters a lot and they will abandon colleagues and friends to and battle brothers to that cause um because finding the fallen is their ultimate quest but saying that the other 99 percent of the time where the dark angels aren't doing that and hunting the fallen they are one of the most capable and scary legions ever there was an epic story where they teamed up with the gray knights to fight Ab- abdomen abaddon um and it was awesome, and it was really cool. Cardor, Drago, and Azrael, the chapter master of the Dark Angels, were working alongside each other to bring down the demons of this world and stuff like that. So I guess this is, this is where the whole like joke of like oh, Dark Angels are like traitors kind of comes into the equation. But you know, they're, they're, that's only the, the the traitors were only the half that got scooped into into the warp, and you can totally understand. The sh- shame, especially because they're not led by Lionel Johnson anymore. Like L- Lionel Johnson was kind of like robbed from them, um, and they had no leadership, and it was just like a void of leadership there. They had to figure shit out, and they lost their promo quite early compared to some of their brothers and stuff like that. Obviously, not as early as like Ferris Manus and Sanguinius that died before the scouring and stuff like that. But even so, like you know, trying to find your identity as a legion after you lose your Primarch is kind of a big deal. So. Not good. And how modern sort of Dark Angels are kind of organised is in, is in obviously companies and stuff similar to other legions. The one thing, the great fuck you, as previously mentioned to, to Gulliman, was that um, Gulliman had this bright idea that he later would say was an idiotic idea of his, which he called the Codex Astartes, which basically meant that in order to not allow the Horus Heresy to ever happen again, he decided that he wasn't going to allow like core leadership of a legion to be handled by one person so what he told all of the legions the imperium after he became like the leader in the vacuum of his father um not being there 
um, and Malkador being dead forced the rest of the legions to adopt the Codex Astartes, which split their legions into smaller chapters. So that, like, there was not one uniform sort of command structure that you could go, wait, we're going to turn traitor now, we're going to invade this place or whatever. An optimistic idea, um, but since obviously the Rangdan genocide had affected the Dark Angels and also the heresy and stuff like that, and also because, quite frankly, the Dark Angels and Gilliman do not have a great relationship, basically went, fuck you, and, and pretended that some of their companies were different chapters, and they painted their armour different colours to represent this. So they've got two major companies in their army, which, which, apart from the Green Wing, which are your regular sort of stock, as far as stock can be, um, dark angels, uh, which are the famous green, dark, very, very dark, almost black, green coloured dark angels. You have the second company, which is the Raven Wing, which essentially are like a parody of the old Calibanite sort of knights of old, but would basically be like bikers, like lots of bikes, lots of speed, lots of speeders. Um, their armour is all black, um, and they have like the Raven Wing emblem on all their shoulder plates and stuff and they rec- represent like the far scouty element of of the dark angels and they find the fallen they actually like zone in on the fallen they find them and then they work with the first company which is known as the death wing to zone in and capture the fallen and the death wing are essentially the whole first company which in other chapters would basically mean that you're like the highest of the highest in terms of your authority in the chapter you'd have great weapons and stuff but you would just be like sort of standard space marines you might be assigned to veteran squads or whatever in the in the death wing you get like terminator armor so terminator armor in normal chapters is like some of the most revered expensive awesome pieces of kit like in order to make one suit of terminator armor the resources is just like a whole planet's like like like, seriously like in order to make terminator armor which is also known as mini dreadnought armor like you're encased in like a walking sort of tanky style armor and normally in 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 a lot in the vast majority a number of space marine like companies, chapters, and legions, like this is revered. If you have Terminator armor, man, you've got to be someone important. And there's not going to be that many Terminators in comparison to any other sort of normal, quote unquote, space marines in your army. Um, but the Deathwing, everyone has Terminator armor. So it's basically an entire company of Terminators. Um, and they're all in creamy white armor. And the reason why they're in cream or white armor, it goes to two random facts in Dark Angels mythology. We don't know which one is true, but the most commonly asserted one until recently was like a tribute to Dark Angels that managed to fend off like a gene stealer cult on this planet. And like they had bone colored armor, so the rest of the Death Wing kind of adopted that. I'm kind of a bit mare about that. I much prefer the other reason for creamy armor it was that traditionally in in the dark angels leadership structure if you took like a bullet for your commander or more importantly like the lion like if you if you know you know was a bodyguard to the lion and and you saved them or like saved them like stopped them from taking any damage by either taking a bullet or, or whatever you'd be allowed to color one of your armor panels in cream so you'd get some really hardcore vets of like the dark angels in the time of the horus heresy and the great crusade that would have random armor panels like cream 
over their black armor um, until you would potentially have your whole armor set cream. Um, and then that was tradition that then person of a highest sort of like badassery and the against each other would have cream armor. So that was kind of why the first Legion then paint their armor creamy colors. Aesthetically, I love it because you get three very different aesthetic looks from the Dark Angels, which is the green wing, which is your green standard stuff, your raven wing, which is your black stuff, and then your creamy stuff. So if you ever get bored of painting one, you can always just do the other. But also from a mechanical point of view, it gives you loads of options and you can do any combination of the above in order to kind of make your army kind of awesome. And uh, yeah, and essentially the death wing find the fallen, capture them, and take them back to the rock. And the leadership, the highest point of leadership structure that you can have within Dark Angel like society, so to speak, is um, the inner circle, which was a concept way back with like Lionel Johnson and stuff, which is basically the concept of like the, the deepest secrets of Dark Angel society, where... You know, you'd be entrusted with the knowledge that, you know, the Dark Angels were betrayed by Luther and the Fallen even exist. Like, your vast majority of, like, stock Dark Angels have no idea that the Fallen exist. The only people that know that they do are, like, the first, second companies in the Inner Circle. And even within the Inner Circle, there's secretism because the Grand Master, a.k.a. the, the top dog of the Dark Angels, is the only one that knows about uh, Luther. Um, and Luther's still alive, and he was locked in the deepest, darkest parts of the vault. And and every chapter master would have a conversation with Luther in person, and just you know some some would like just basically like hurl abuse at the at Luther. Some would try and understand why in order to try and then find more fallen and stuff like that. But um, yeah, essentially there are secrets within secrets within the sort of dark angels and stuff. And yeah, every grandmaster has has the key to the room, but none of the dark angels know of the existence of the lion still. Um, and the lion is now woken up, and he's waiting, and he's healed, and he's waiting for his time to like re-enter the Imperium and make his mark again and lead lead the sort of dark angels into the new future, which kind of leads us to the future of the dark angels and what happened with Luther. So Luther obviously was locked inside the vaults of the rock for, for fucking centuries, for like 10,000 years, going mad and insane and stuff like that. But he was, he was broken out of uh, the rock by a combination of Zinch, like Thousand Sons and, and uh, demons and stuff, and uh, who were also allied to the Fallen. Um, and he escaped. He, he escaped from the rock. Um, and its rumour is that he's forming an army of Fallen to potentially fight... Um, the Dark Angels. Where I see the future of the law going is that if uh, the Lionel Johnson does come back, he's either going to be more evolved than he was before and kind of leave leadership of the Imperium to Gulliman because he realises that Gulliman is a kind of a pencil pusher and kind of just needs to just organise stuff intrinsically in his nature. So I could foresee that happening whilst the lion goes on like his great his own sort of personal crusade like against the 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 fallen and also the forces of chaos or he's going to be like get the fuck out of my seat <laughs> and assume leadership of the entire imperium um i don't see that happening because even though 
the old the lion of old would have really been into that. I think that the big blue Boy Scout is now a great flagship character for for Games Workshop, and the moody lion would not be such a great poster child. And I I don't know. I think I think you know the evolution of the lion would be actually that he realizes that his ambition isn't everything, and in going down that path will only lead him to damnation, like Luther, like Horus, like like all of the people around him that died. So yeah, but I do foresee a massive slam down with the with the fallen, and potentially the lion offering them amnesty. If they're not all chaos corrupted and gribbly, um, and of and of course, have the conversation with Lufa. Like, why? Like, what happened? What Lufa would do in the presence of the lion again? You know, like he doesn't know that the lion's potentially alive. Oh, actually, I don't know if he does. I think he actually might do. So, you know, there's a lot of thing there, and of course, Cipher, my favorite character, Cipher, and what he's going to potentially. Dude, I love Cypher. He's one of my favorite characters in the whole of 40k. I'm not going to talk about him here because I'm going to talk about him in a future Grim Dark video. Um, but he's he's really interesting. Um, and yeah, but in regards to like favorite characters from the Dark Angels, there's a couple that I really like. One of which is a guy called Ezekiel, and all of the Dark Angels have real tryhardy, knighty names. Ezekiel being one of them, um, also known as the Keeper of the Keys and the Book of the Fallen, or, or there's something like the Tome of the Unforgiven, where it gives all the names of the fallen and uh, whatever. And he also can, has the key, keeps the keys that lock or did lock Luther within the depths of of the vaults of Caliban, even if he didn't know what was inside of it. And he's the Grand Master Librarian of the Dark Angels. Now, what you obviously have to understand is, like, the librarians in the Dark Angels are very mysterious, very dark, way more brooding than other Dark Angels chapters... uh, Sorry, other Space Marine chapters, because they go into the head of everyone around them, and they're very much aware of the secrets of the Dark Angels, but obviously can't talk about that, and they're protecting their thoughts from other psychers and stuff. And uh, they like to interrogate the Fallen as well as, like, the chaplains and stuff to get into their mind to figure out all the secrets about where the Fallen might be and stuff. So even for librarians and space marines, they're really, really brooding. And Ezekiel's a terrifying figure in, in, in the lore. And he has this... He lost an eye to fighting an orc, I believe. And he has this really old-school, really fucked-up bionic eye, which is just purely pragmatism over technological. And as much as, like, at the time, they gave him, like, a really shitty eye to replace his eye that he lost because to get, just get his senses back in, in the knowledge that they would then replace it in the future. But then he refused any updates of tech on his eye because it's so fucking gnarly looking and really, like, scary to look upon. So he just has this real bad reputation as just being terrifying. But he interviews potential grandmasters to be the, the future of the chapter. Like, if you want to get into the inner circle itself, you have to have a sit-down with... Ezekiel and stuff and there were some people that didn't make the grade and that did just disappear um so he's he's fucking terrifying even by Dark Angel standards he's just a badass and on the tabletop he's very very strong one of the strongest master librarians of any of the Space Marine chapters and yeah he's just a cool he's just a badass he's really cool looks cool always loved him as a kid loved his design and the other other characters that I like, I love Samael, who's the leader of the second company, the Raven Wing, one of the youngest ever, like, company masters, just really talented. He rides on the back of, like, one of the last ever Grav bikes, 
um, apart from the ones that the custodians use, which I always call bullshit on, but whatever. Um, so he's, he uses this completely outdated but better grav technology, and he rides around on that like a crazy dude with a plasma cannon underneath it and wielding a sword. And he just wants to get right up in the grill of the fallen and just like chase him and wipe. He's, he's a bit of a hot headed prick. Like he, he kind of like calls people out of their bullshit and like he, he's, he, he ignores orders and, and goes for the throat. Um, but he gets results and he's, and he's really cool. He's, like I said, he's very, very young. So there could be some awesome stuff to come in the future with Samael. And of course, Luther, um, Cypher and Luther. Um, I, I really like Luther. Like, uh, you know, despite all the shit that he's given the Dark Angels over the years, I really feel for him. You know, like the deep corruption within the heart of Caliban was always going to be there. It was always the destiny of, of, of the Dark Angels to fight. And, you know, I feel sorry that he kind of had an impossible mission to kind of figure that out and, and work it out. But, you know, he led the half the Dark Angels to damnation. And we'll see, really, what kind of happens with Luther. But I quite like him. I'd love a Horus Heresy model of Luther, and I'd buy him in a second. Um, G-Dubs, if you're listening, I'd, 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 I'd go for that in a second. And I really like it. I really like the conflict. Like, you know, it's really interesting to me, characters with conflict and interesting traits and stuff. And Luther's just one of those characters, really. And so there you go. That's that's a very brief like rundown of Dark Angels history and where they're kind of at now and the future of a future of them. You know, I way prefer them over their their sort of shiny blue cousins in the form of of the Ultramarines. And yeah, they've always captured my imagination. I'm running Dark Angels in the London Grand Tournament later on this year. You know, they've got some really strong rules at the moment, although other things have unfortunately, I think, kind of displaced them as top dog. Um, but, you know, they've won events and occasionally they top eight, top eight events, so it's perfectly reasonable to play Dark Angels and do well with them. Um, I love strong, sturdy units, and the Deathwing represent that very, very well. Um, so, yeah, so all good. But um, I'd love to do more of these, like, singular videos just to help out and pad out if, we, if we're having a, a dodgy week or whatever. Um, we'll be back to normal this week with a regular episode um, concerning our favourite characters from Warhammer Law. Uh, there may or may not be a cipher amongst them. Um, mysterious. Thank you very much for listening. I was a singular bastard. We'll be returning with my glamorous counterpart soon. But thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed taking a bit of a lore deep dive into one of my favourite armies in the entirety of Warhammer Law. If there's any lore aspects that you'd love to know, please let me know. I'd be more than happy to talk about them. But um, ciao and take care, you wonderful people.